If you weren't here this morning, uh, this is our friend Michael Sullivan. Michael is a pastor in the Kansas City area, and one of the ways that God has used him or a ministry that he's had is in the area of the prophetic, and uh, we're really excited to learn from him tonight. He's actually written a book. What's the name of your book on the prophetic? Actually, I've written two. Uh, one is Will you see if that's on? Make sure that's on. Is this one good? Get that on. Here, use this one while we get that one going. It's all right, no worries. So, um, it's nice to share. We learned that in kindergarten, didn't we? Uh So um, I've actually written two books on the prophetic. Uh, The first one I co-wrote with a guy named Mike Bickle. Uh, It's called Growing in the Prophetic. And, and uh, so Mike and I collaborated on that book. We worked together for 13 years. And um, we just, you know, really felt like we needed to testify to the prophetic spirit that was happening in our community at that time. And, and things that we had learned about, uh, you know, growing in it and how to, how to stimulate it, how to, you know, have a fireplace in the, in the house. Not burn the house down, but have a fireplace, you know, for the fire. And so that's what that book is a lot about. And uh, so um, then I wrote another book uh, just by myself called Prophetic Etiquette. And so that is out of print, but I got the rights back a few weeks ago. So I'm going to republish it. Bringing it back. Yeah. I've told you for years you need to bring that book back. I know you did. That's right. Probably, I'm thinking about turning it into an online course. Be great. So, yeah. So that's called Prophetic Etiquette. And and that's more about uh, the, what undergirds the infrastructure to the prophetic, uh, as well as stories and testimonies of the prophetic in my life. So, um, so those are the two books on the prophetic. Okay, great. Well, yeah. we're excited to learn tonight. Uh, I want to ask you, kind of, you shared a little bit of your story this morning, uh, but you talked about when you went to the church with your brother that you had a kind of, for lack of a better term, like a spiritual encounter. Yes. And then uh, you described several times in there kind of having prophetic experiences or, or spiritual experiences early on. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit more about that and how, uh, when that happened, you know, we often think in our culture, people talk about hearing from God, that they might be a little mentally uh, unstable, yeah. if we're honest. So, so how did you walk through that and how would you advise us as we're kind of trying to grow in this to discern what's the voice of God and just tell us how that, how that worked early in your life? Yeah. Well, um, you know, there's a certain tone and texture to the voice of God. And so there are, you know, spurious experiences that people have and counterfeits and things like that, people that are mentally unstable. But, um, but we know from, you know, Genesis to Revelation, there's testimonies of, you know, very, very sane people who hear God. And, and God, he's a communicator, it's not a problem for him to communicate to his creation. He always has. And so, uh, you know, it's just like him to do it. And we, he's, he's invited us to talk to him. So why are we surprised that he talks to us? You know, actually praying well is a prophetic experience a prophetic experience because we learn how to pray in the spirit and the spirit is the one who prompts our prayers. So, you know, there's sometimes drama to the prophetic and there's sometimes subtleties to the prophetic. God does it both ways. So um, when you soak yourself in this story, this is a story from Genesis to Revelation with Christ as the main character because the Old Testament all points to Jesus and then Jesus comes and then he makes sense out of the prophecies of the Old Testament and the story of the Old Testament and then carries on the story. And when you soak yourself in this book and you learn the tone and texture of God's voice in the book, then it gives you something, uh, a standard to go by when you have a subjective experience with God's voice and it's like, oh, that's that same voice. That has that same tone to it. So when I had my first experience with hearing God, um, I, uh, I instantly knew in the depths of my being that this was the one who made me, who was talking to me. Because he wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said the things he said to me 
<laughs> to me. You know, I wouldn't have said those things. So that's one of the ways I knew. And, and what he said to me was very biblical, you know, as I look back on it, like, oh, of course, you know, I need Jesus. And that's what he told me. So, um, yeah, so, you know, the, the Bible gives us a standard. It's like a template that you can lay over a subjective experience and then measure the subjective experience in light of the written word. And that way we, we have a safeguard for weeding out, you know, stuff that's not from the Lord. Yeah, well, that, that's really helpful. So second question that I had for you, just kind of on that, you, you describe these type of experiences seeming to come with, with ease, Yes. in your life. It wasn't like you tried to force something to happen or right. whatever. And, and we had Joe Ewan here uh, in November, another prophetic friend, and he described something similar that he said early on in his life, even before he knew Jesus, he said, I had this uh, ability, almost like a, a sixth sense, if you will. It was like baked into him. And that was in coming to know Christ that, that got activated at a new level yeah. with a new spirit behind it. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, in your experience, are there just some people that are wired that way where it's just like, this comes easy? Because I know for a lot of us, it doesn't come easy. It's sure. like, oh, okay, I, I, I kind of get what you're talking about. My brain and my life just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, is, has that been your experience? There are kind of two kinds of people or what would you say on that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think so. I think there are people that are just wired by God for some sensitivities. And even like you said before, they come to the Lord, there's some sensitivities there. Uh, and then the Holy Spirit it takes a hold of those sensitivities and he anoints them and they go to a new level, you know? So I think that's, that's true. Um, in, the, in the scriptures, uh, the New Testament, the New Covenant, all of the children are able to hear the voice of God. Mm. And so there's a certain ground level where everybody gets to hear God speak. Mm. Everybody, you know, hears the Lord. But there are some people that have like a double dose, I would say, of that prophetic experience mm. or that prophetic anointing. And then some people have a triple dose, mm. you know. So that's how I usually describe it in my very technical way. Everybody gets a dose. Some people have a double dose. Some people have a triple dose. Okay, so that's great. So if, if someone's here and they're wondering, well, do I have a, a single dose, a double dose, a triple dose? What, what, what might they look for in their own life and story or sure. uh, be considering to think about that? Well, the first thing is that um, we, we can teach each other with confidence that you can hear God. Mm. You know, I think that's something we should teach to all Christians. My sheep hear my voice. And some of the big problem in our culture is the Western rationalism that we have been brought up in. And we have to dismantle uh, some of that Western rationalism in order to uh, be open, you know, be opened to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let me stop you there. Tell us more what you mean by that. I think we probably hear the term rationalism, but what... What exactly are you meaning that we need to dismantle kind of that way of thinking? You know, I mean, Western rationalism is anti-supernatural. And that's, that's not even a word that's used in the Bible very much, you know, supernatural. And for God, you know, the invisible world and the visible world, that's how, how it's talked about, and that they interface with each other. But Western rationalism, Western rationalism philosophy doesn't teach that. It teaches that they're separated far from one another, you know? And so God has his realm, we have ours. He doesn't really inter- intervene mm-hmm. in ours. Um, and, and so, but the New Testament and the Bible teaches all the time that there's an ongoing interactive relationship between the invisible and visible worlds. Mm-hmm. But we're not brought up in that in our mm-hmm. culture. We've been, we've been taught to highly value our rational mind and, uh, and we've uh, leaned into that and we've developed that and we've monetized that. And so that's how we make our living is by being rational. You know, but, the, but the Bible teaches us that there's another side to the human life that is subjective and beyond reason, beyond the human reasoning, and it's transrational. And so the Holy Spirit, you know, he, he, he moves more freely when there's a philosophy of life that welcomes his interventions and his movements. Mm-hmm. 
and it's not so hard for him to break in, you know? And that's something that is a cultural problem that we can defeat in the body of Christ. We can defeat in the local church where we teach people, you know, a three-tiered worldview rather than a two-tiered worldview. So the three-tiered is where they overlap and this is normal and it's not crazy, you know, that they overlap. So that's some of what I would say. Yeah, well, that, that, so I'm going to ask you some more questions yeah. on that. Yeah. So when you're talking about that and you're saying uh, just acknowledging that there's more to the world maybe than what we see right in front of us, are you saying that we're, we're going against reason or we, we kind of throw our minds out the, the window or, or how, does, how does this Well, we're transcending work? it. We're not throwing it out. Reason's very important, but it's not primary. You know, uh, we have the, the enlightenment exalted human reason as the most outstanding quality of the human life. But the Bible says love is the most outstanding quality and mm. relationship. And mm. so uh, relationship transcends human reason at times. Mm. And so if we focus more on relationship and love, then the reason takes its place in the human life down the list of qualities that are important and good, but they're not it's not primary. The same thing with the will. The will is down the list. Mm. So, but we've emphasized reason and will, reason and will, reason and will. And we haven't developed enough relational skills. Mm. Uh, and if we will do that, then we will find our, our beings opening up more to the invisible. And it's not going to mm. be so strange. Mm. Okay, so that's great. So we were, we're talking about if I'm, you said every Christian can hear God at a level. That that's yeah. something that we should all believe from the scripture yeah. and, and we should teach and, and pursue. And you said to, to experience that truth in our own lives, there's, there's a bit of dismantling kind of a little bit of the cultural paradigm that we're from yeah. growing in our relational skills, growing in love for one another and love for God. Yeah. And that that is the soil, I guess, in which we become more sensitive yes. to the Holy Spirit. Yes. That's what I would say. Okay. And, and joy. You know, uh-huh. love and joy go together. So an environment, that oven of love and joy mm-hmm. is the oven, the environment where the Holy Spirit gets real excited. He says, mm-hmm. oh, they're making an oven. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interact with them mm-hmm. in that place. Okay. And so this is, uh, you know, we've, we've been leaning, I, you know, I know a little bit about the left and right brain. We've been leaning left mm. in our culture for decades and centuries, you know, and we need to be more balanced. We need to be whole-brained, and we need the right brain to be activated, and we mm. le- need to learn how to access it. That's the realm where the Holy Spirit gets really active mm. is uh, when we let the right brain be the leader of our lives mm. and, and the left brain be the manager and mm. the follower. Mm. That's awesome. So that's, that's one dose yeah, but if if someone were to think, well, maybe I have, uh, maybe this is a, a gift yeah. that God's given me. What are some things that, that we could look for in our lives that would help us discern that? Yeah, it's it's pretty obvious, you know. Uh, I think that not only can we see it, but other people can, and that's one of the great ways to learn about how significant your dose is of the prophetic is people will feed back to you and say, wow, that was really the Lord, you know, coming through you. And if you have that often enough and, and the Lord uh, reveals things to you that are uh, not known in the natural realm or through natural knowledge, you start to have those experiences and interactions with people, they will feed back to you and confirm to you that you've got a double dose. Mm. And I, I like that approach more than me figuring out figuring that out for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we we need each other to help us identify mm-hmm. what our strengths are and what our gifts are. So one of the areas could be in the community that we're in. What type of feedback do we yeah. get from people? Can yeah. help us grow in, in, in learning ourselves. Yeah. Great. Yeah, because a lot of times, you know, when you're praying for somebody, you get a picture or an impression, you share it, mm-hmm. and they go, wow that really, really was from the Lord. Mm-hmm. You don't know how much that was from the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's, I like that kind of approach mm-hmm. because it's naturally supernatural. Mm-hmm. You're not putting on airs to try to be prophetic. You're just being yourself. And what comes through you is anointed. And it happens often enough and deep enough that you can say, oh, that person has a prophetic calling mm-hmm. or a prophetic ministry. Mm-hmm. And then mm. God lifts some people up to be prophets, mm-hmm. you know, to be prophets to mm. regions or prophets to churches or mm. prophets to nations. Mm-hmm. 
That's really helpful. If if I think I might be a one dose person, is that kind of you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, or do you? Is there a way to grow in these yeah, things? You can grow in them. I don't think we know on the front end a lot of times where we'll end up. Mm. You know, so it's a journey, and you just you just open up and and start to step out and experience whatever God gives you, mm-hmm. and you you get more confident in. Mm the the anointing that he has in your life and through your life and if he gives you more then it'll become obvious and maybe you'll end up with a triple dose and you didn't even know mm. you were going to have that you mm-hmm. know so it's something to pursue uh-huh. uh, as long as as long as we uh, are making love our mm. aim and our motivation mm-hmm. then in that context Paul says earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy mm. so I encourage people to go for it you know yeah go for it. <clears throat> learn about it, you can grow in it. And even if you have a single dose, you can grow in your single dose, mm-hmm. you know? And if he doesn't give you more, that's okay too. He'll give you something else and mm-hmm. it'll be very valuable. That's really helpful to just to help me personally understand the difference between what God gives to every believer versus we know that he gives spiritual gifts and those go to different people in different measures. That's really helpful yeah. to understand. So now we're back at University of Miami. We're back in your story. And your uh, freshman, sophomore, junior, there's all these people coming to Jesus and, and gathering and seeking him. And, and what, talk to me about that experience and what you learned about hearing God kind of in those early days. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, I remember the first time I had an interpretation of tongues. Uh, and so we were in this little uh, dorm room, and some one of the girls felt like she was supposed to give this message in another language. Mm-hmm. And she speaks out really boldly, and we're all kind of like, oh my, we know from the Bible you're supposed to interpret that, you know? Because she wasn't praying under her breath, you know? She was, that was some kind of a message or a prayer or something. And, and as, as she was uh, speaking in that other language, I saw a picture. I still remember the picture. That's how vivid it was. I saw a river, and the river was flowing, and I saw two trees by the river, and I saw the roots going down into the river to get uh, moisture from the river to, to uh, bring it up through the trunk and into the branches, and there was all kinds of fruit. And I was prophesying Psalm 1, you know, <laughs> and I didn't know it, but uh, I saw a picture of it. So that was a great experience where, like, oh, the Holy Spirit will provide you know, not only tongues, but interpretation of tongues. Uh, and, and, and then uh, we learned about uh, not just tongues and interpretation, we learned about prophecy, which is very similar to interpretation of tongues, mm-hmm. except it doesn't have the other language on the front end. Mm-hmm. So um, we just started practicing uh, it, it through, a, a, usually in a prayer mm-hmm. kind of environment or worship environment. Mm-hmm. Then we started to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you showing us? What do you want to show us? What are you saying? What, what do you want us to see? Mm-hmm. And, and as we did that, people started to uh, be, become more bold and share mm-hmm. what God was showing them. Mm-hmm. And then the effect is like inspiring and it builds everybody up in Christ and you get closer to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, that's it. You know, that's what this stuff is. Mm. That is, uh, just love, love hearing that. Now you mentioned kind of getting a picture. Explain to us a little bit more what you mean by that. Yeah. And is that something that uh, might be a way that God would speak to us? Very common, very common way. Some people are more visual than others, you know, in their gifting of prophecy. And some people are more uh, auto, just v- words, you know, they, they get words and they feel words coming out of them, right? So um, it happens in different ways. Um, so a picture, it's very similar to a daydream, except you're not daydreaming. <laughs> you're just praying and and you're you know, in fellowship with with God and with other people, usually sometimes not. Uh, you might be in your prayer closet, <laughs> but it's 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 a mental image, just like a dream is a mental image, or just like a daydream is a mental image. Except it's not you're not asleep, and it's not a daydream because you're not floating off somewhere. <laughs> it's just invading your headspace. Mm-hmm. So, is there? Can you give me some? Uh, I guess references in scripture maybe where we see like people getting these type of, of sure. pictures or images. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm thinking of the one in uh, Acts chapter 
10, I believe it's 10, where Peter has, uh, he goes up, this is so cool, he goes up on the roof to pray, and it says, and he got hungry. (laughs) So I think that's really funny. You know, like, have you ever done that? Like, you're wanting to pray, but I'm hungry. So anyway, it's just so human, you know, it's beautiful. So they're starting to make lunch for him, but he's, he falls into a trance, I've had that happen on a few occasions, falling into a trance. And, and so, of course, the occult world has its counterfeit trances or whatever, but sometimes the Holy Spirit inspires a trance. And, and so Peter sees, you know, this strange picture, right? And, and oftentimes God speaks in really funny uh, pictures that are caricaturizations of something because it makes it so vivid, you know, like Peter did. He had all these unclean animals come down in a net, you know, and he hears a voice in that state of being, and he, and he you know, kill Peter, uh, take, take up, kill, and eat. And he said, no, Lord, I don't eat unclean animals. It happens three times. And then the Lord makes the interpretation clear because there's people at the door who are Gentiles who are asking for him to come with them to Cornelius. And so that's a whole other story. But uh, that's a good illustration of a New Testament, you know, uh, experience of having a vision. Mm. That's really that's really helpful, and that's a, a somewhat little bit of a bizarre vision. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's, it's not um, as straightforward as you might think, and there needs to be kind of some sort of interpretation. interpretation it makes yes. me think of in Ezekiel, where the Lord takes Ezekiel out. It's like, what do you see? And he's like, I see a valley of, of yeah. dry bones. Again, another kind of visual picture that the Lord was yeah. was speaking through. So a lot of, a lot of uh, prophetic visions are symbolic, and they're kind of like uh, political cartoons sometimes, where you have to have an interpretation of, now what does the guy, what does that represent, you know, and what's the message? So with that, if I'm starting out, how do I know that this picture that popped into my mind, because I've had a lot of pictures pop into my mind throughout my life, you know, yeah. how do I know that this is not just... I don't know, uh, a random thought sure. and is something more than that. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of times you have a subjective feeling as well that attends those pictures. Like you feel God's presence, mm. you know, uh, and if you're feeling God's presence when you get one of those pictures, then pay attention to that picture mm-hmm. more, even more than just any random picture. Mm-hmm. Or if you're in an atmosphere of worship or prayer, mm-hmm. you know, you're in a state where you're susceptible to getting a vision from God. Um, so you learn by experience. That's the only way to learn this. There's no black and white, you know, rule book that you can go by to figure it out. You have to step out and experience these things and share these things with people that you love and trust and who love and trust you. And then you can discern you over time, you learn to discern the difference between, uh, just a random, you know, picture imagination from your own mind and something from the Lord. So in the in the Old Testament, it seems that prophecy is very uh, direct, mm. authoritative, yes. certain. Don't mess with it. Yeah. In the New Testament, though, in the passages mm-hmm. uh, in First Corinthians and First Thessalonians, yeah. it seems like there's an atmosphere of of learning and of yes. testing yes. what you have received, not with cynicism, but with uh, just wisdom. Could you talk right. to us a little bit about about that? Yeah, I, I think the greatest example is in the book of Acts where Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. You remember? And he's, everywhere he goes, it says the Holy Spirit testifies to the persecution and the suffering that was ahead. Mm-hmm. And and some of the prophetic people actually tell him, don't go. Mm-hmm. And they're mis- talking about Agabus, right? Well, there was, there was Agabus, mm-hmm. and then there were the daughters of Philip, mm-hmm. and then there were just the saints at Ephesus mm-hmm. and other places. Mm-hmm. You can read the, the narrative. And, it, and he says at one point, everywhere I go, the Spirit is testifying through prophecy that I, you know, I'm going to have persecution and suffering. Mm-hmm. But he had the word of the Lord in his own heart that he knew he was supposed to go. And, and that's proven and confirmed because when he gets there, Jesus appears to him and says, just like you've testified for me here in Jerusalem, now I'm gonna send you to Rome to testify. So he had the word of the Lord in his own heart. And there were prophetic people who loved him so much they were getting their own uh, will mixed in and their own preferences mixed in with what they were seeing. And they were seeing something accurate, but they were misinterpreting it. Mm-hmm. So that's a great New Testament example of true prophecy that can be misconstrued. Uh-huh. 
So there's a need for testing. Yes. So how how do I do that? You know, if I need my blood tested, I go to the doctor and they yeah. run an analysis. Like, but when we're talking about this, like, how do I hmm. test something either that I sense or maybe that someone has shared with me? Sure. They say, hey, I, you know, feel like I might have a word for you. How do I test that? Yeah. Well, you know, the 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 Holy Spirit indwells every believer, and so we have a responsibility to the Holy Spirit within us, and our conscience is supposed to be soaked with the Holy Spirit's presence. And so our conscience also is a testimony within us. And what I've experienced is this. When true prophecy is happening, it's like there's a flag, a little flagpole inside of me, and there's a flag at the bottom of it. And when true prophecy happens, the flag runs up the pole and starts waving like that. And so that's a very subjective way to describe the inner witness of a Christian to a word that's being spoken or given. And that's what I encourage people to learn to become sensitive to. Mm. And when, when spurious words are given or somebody gets into the flesh and they're not really speaking on the Lord's behalf, you're, you, they might start you know, speaking something good and your flag's waving and then they get their own stuff mixed in and it starts to go down like half masts because mm. something's dying. Mm. So <laughs> um, that's, my, that's my very technical way of describing how to judge prophecy. Um, we, we judge prophecy, you know, when it's inspirational prophecy, it's, e- it's easy to accept or to tolerate some filler, mm-hmm. you know, hamburger helper, right? It's like, it's not anointed, but it's not harmful. Mm. If it's deceptive or it's, you know, from a wrong spirit, then that's poison. You know, you don't, you have to stop that from happening. But most of the time, unanointed prophecy is just people getting their own stuff mixed in with whatever the Lord may be showing them. And so we can tolerate that as the body of Christ, just like we tolerate junk food, you know, and filler that's not nutritious. But we're after something better. We're after really good food. We're after really great prophecy. Mm. And so, but when, that, when you hear and experience true prophecy from the Lord, then everybody's flag's waving and you just, you hear the amens, you know? You hear the oohs and the ahs and like, yes! And the confirmations that are coming from the body. Mm. When it comes to predicting the future, or giving guidance, that's when prophecy goes to a different level and you have to judge it more carefully because you don't want your life to be guided by somebody's prophetic word unless it's a confirmation mm. to what God's already showing you mm. or will show you in the future. Mm. So, so when prophecy gets heavy, and that's what my book, Prophetic Etiquette, is mm. about, when it gets heavy because it's predicting the future or, or giving guidance or correction, then there's a different protocol mm. that the New Testament mm. uh, refers to that it needs to go through in order to be received. Mm. Okay, so I want to slow down right there. So you're saying... Kind of the, the prophecy that's for First Corinthians fourteen three encouragement, upbuilding, comfort, yeah. that type of thing. You're you're hanging under a banner of it's inspiring. Yes. And if if someone is is sharing and they're like, man, I just sense that God loves you, and He's very proud of you, and you're His son, and I mean all those things are biblical. And you're saying at that point, you know. Even if they're speaking on their own, it <laughs> doesn't hurt much. It just lines up with scripture and yeah. there's no bad thing that could, yeah. you know, from, oh, I believe God loves me now. You yeah. know, there's nothing bad that comes from it. And you're saying oftentimes in that type of environment, we'll have an inner witness yeah. of our spirit or the, the, the people around us. They'll just be kind of like a, yeah. something testifies to yeah. me that this is, and that's something we can cultivate over time. A, a next level though, you're saying when it's something about the future, Something yeah. about guidance, something about correction. Yes. That there's a bit more, I guess, rigorous process yes. or, or let us in on that. Because, yeah, because that has the potential of moving us, directing us or challenging something, you know, and, and so it's heavier in nature and God does do that. I mean, he does speak, you know, words like that and they're all through the scripture, but we have a community of people that are responsible to process that kind of information. And so if we're mature as a community, we're going to process that stuff well and not just be gullible because somebody might be speaking by a wrong spirit or, you know, I know in our protocols in the local church, like sometimes in the past, people, strangers 
would come in and want to speak a word to the church, and we wouldn't let them do it. It's like, no, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you know, get knit in before you can, you know, do that. Mm. And so, please love us first, mm. and then prophesy to us, <laughs> right? So there's dangers associated with prophecy and there's abuses that have happened in the history of the church that have taken churches and people off course. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we have to guard against. Mm-hmm. So you're saying the, the things that guard against that is kind of a, a community sifting of the word? Yeah. Is that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's like, it's like, is this digestible, you know? And if, like I said, we tolerate some stuff that's not anointed, mm-hmm. it's unanointed, mm-hmm. you know, and we can tolerate some mm-hmm. of that. If a person does a lot of unanointed utterances, mm-hmm. then we'll take them aside and say, you know, your prophecies aren't really landing mm-hmm. and you need to stop for a while mm-hmm. and maybe take, a, take some classes or, you know, some, get, get with some people that have, mm-hmm. you know, been doing it well mm-hmm. so that you can pick it up better. Mm-hmm. Um, we would do something like that. But you can tolerate some of some of the unanointed, mm-hmm. but you can't tolerate poison, mm-hmm. you know. Well, that's really helpful just in terms of thinking about my own growth. And I'm sure for many here, that idea of uh, believing you can hear God, kind of creating space for that to happen, stepping out in faith, and, and then creating room for things to be tested yep. and discerned over time. So we were early college days, there's, there's, you got a picture. That's how we got off on this, yeah. on this rabbit trail. So then where did that fellowship go? What kind of, what became of that, that student movement? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, the, the, the initial 500 students left town for the most part, you know, which is the nature of campus ministry. People are going to come and then they're going to go. And, but there were some, a core of people that stayed and became a local church that, that did really well in, in, in the town and lasted. I think it, it lasted until it, it actually merged in to become a vineyard church. Mm-hmm. So it became a part of the vineyard movement and then you know, I don't know what happened from there. So where did you go from there? Well, uh, Terry and I got married in 1977, four years after I went to Oxford, Ohio. And we went to Arkansas to learn more about church planting and church leadership from older, more established ministers and teams, a team that was based there in Arkansas. And then how did you get from Arkansas to Kansas City? Um, I, I have a great story about that. Uh, so I, in 1985, I went to my first John Wimber conference in Little Rock. Tell us a little bit about who John Wimber is. So John Wimber uh, was an evangelical church guy, church growth guy, who was associated with Fuller Seminary and Peter Wagner, if you know that name. And so John got blasted by the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. That was all new to him at a certain point and to his church. And, but he was, he was brilliant and skilled in Scripture, and he just had a really great balance of theology and power. The power of the Spirit came upon him and upon his church members. And so they started to become like a, a resource to the evangelical world about uh, validating the reality of the gifts of the Spirit. And they went all over the world and had these big, big conferences, and many people experienced the power of the Spirit through John's ministry. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you went to one of his conferences. Went to one of his conferences, and, and I, what I saw uh, of the gifts of the Spirit and how they were operating was, was a different context than what I had seen before, which was a little bit more of the Pentecostal culture, which I didn't really like. But John was doing it in a different way, and it was, for me, it was like when I saw it, I thought, oh, that's the way I feel like I've been called, you know, to operate in the gifts, more of a naturally supernatural way rather than being uh, so highly emotionalized about it, uh, like the Pentecostal uh, movement typically was. Uh, and, and in a lot of cases, there was a lot more heat than there was light, you know, in those, in that culture. And he was doing it differently. So I really, really liked that. And I got deeply affected. I didn't realize how deeply I had been affected until after the conference, because I didn't really have an encounter at the conference. I just had a soaking in of stuff and it changed my ministry. And so that led me to um, start to build relationships with uh, churches and ministers up north uh, from where I was from, from Michigan and Ohio. And so I started building relationships with leaders there. And um, 
Terry and I started to feel like God was maybe gonna move us from Arkansas to Michigan. And we said maybe he'd open a door for us. And so, uh, so the funny story uh, that relates to this is we were gonna go to Michigan for like a, a trip to discern if we were supposed to move there. And we were kind of holding that in our hearts. We weren't telling anybody that we were thinking about moving. And so uh, we get in our van to go down the road to get onto the highway in Little Rock to get on the highway and go 20 some hours to, to Michigan. And while early in the morning, our three kids in the car, we only had three at that time, we're, we're driving down the road in Arkansas, in Little Rock, and this dirty truck drives by us in, it was a four lane road, drives by us spewing, you know, the dust of uh, this amazing amount of dirt and dust coming off the back of this truck. And then it pulls in front of us, almost cutting us off. And in letters on, on the back of the truck, in letters this tall, written in handwriting, it said, say yes to Detroit. Wow. So it's not every day that, that you no, see something like no, that. No, yeah. not at all. I've never seen it since. <laughs> and the, the, the amazing thing was we were actually talking about it. We were talking about, well, maybe the Lord is sending us to Detroit. Mm. You know, it really feels that way. And we were talking about it. We both felt that. And then this truck comes by and there it is. And it's like, we were like, there's an angel with a dirty finger <laughs> somewhere nearby, you know. Uh, but, you know, the cool thing was is that we really needed that uh, very dramatic intervention from the Lord telling us what to do because the, my fellow leaders in Arkansas, they, they, at first they, they blessed what we were doing and they, want, they agreed that we should go. But then some of them said, no, they're not supposed to go. And they tried to keep us from going, but we knew we were supposed to. So. so that gave you the, the courage, the courage yeah. to step out. Okay, yeah. so that gets you to Detroit. Yeah. And then what happens next? So two years in Detroit, I knew it was a short-term assignment. Um, and, um, and we were thinking about planting churches in Ohio. Uh, and then I reconnected with Mike Bickle uh, in 1986 at a conference. And that connection started. Had you connected with him at the Wimber we, seminar? Well, or? no, we knew, uh, we knew each other back in the late 70s a okay. little bit, uh -huh. but then lost touch with each other. Okay. And he had moved in the meantime from St. Louis, where I knew him from, to Kansas City mm -hmm. and started his church there. And uh, it mushroomed and grew, but I didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. But I ran into him and one of his prophetic uh, leaders, John Paul Jackson, was there too. Mm -hmm. And so I had this amazing connection and encounter with Mike and John Paul. And, uh, and John Paul heard from the Lord that I was going to be a part of their team. And so there was a little bit of cat and mouse that went on prophetically there. Um, that was kind of fun. It's a fun story. But I uh, ended up getting an invitation to come and be one of the senior leaders of the church. Okay. So I transferred. So you were in Kansas City yeah. in... in 87. With with Bickle in the early days, and, yeah. and he went on to, I guess, found and develop IHOP. You probably guys, guys have yeah. seen seen that or heard their music. So you guys were there. What was the name of the church? Metro Metro Christian Metro Fellowship. Christian Fellowship. Mm -hmm. And that's where you were with Don Stedman. Yes. Right. Okay. So there, that's where you wrote the book, uh, Growing in the Prophetic. Mm -hmm. Right. So what were the ingredients? That well, maybe tell us a few stories of, of why that was such a significant part of your church in Kansas City in those days. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, we had uh, tokens of the prophetic in our history, right? Like my conversion experience and so forth. But it wasn't as uh, it wasn't as often and as profound as when I moved to Kansas City and I started to hang out with people who had a lot deeper, richer more a common experience with the prophetic. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's just a blessing on Kansas City, I think, to be a prophetic city in some ways. I don't understand that, but it just seems to be true. And uh, people that have pioneered the prophetic ministry. So that was, there was all kinds of, uh, you know, people having spiritual dreams. That was a big part of the prophetic in Kansas City were dreams. And then Terry and I actually had a prophet call us out of the crowd and tell us that we were going to experience a new level of the prophetic. Wow. And so we went on a sabbatical and I had 30 dreams in 30 days that wow. were very profound dreams. And that was a new 
down payment or a, a download of the mm -hmm. prophetic in our lives mm -hmm. in 1990 that happened. Okay, so you mentioned early on the idea of kind of getting some sort of mental picture was one of the ways that God could speak yeah. in the prophetic, and now you're talking about dreams, dreams. as another way. So tell yeah. us a little bit more uh, about that. Dreams are so interesting. They are. They are very interesting, and you know, when you have a divine dream, um, normally th there's a presence that's, that you sense while you're having the dream uh, that you can remember and, and, and recall when you wake up. Um, a lot of times they're very, very vivid, not always, but a lot of times very vivid, colorful, um, often very colorful, and, um, and some of them totally unforgettable because they just rock you. And often after a divine dream, I will wake up as the dream ends, I will wake up like I'm being shaken mm. so that I will remember mm. what I was experiencing and uh, oftentimes scribe the dream there right in the middle of the night, you know? So I've had um, amazing, I've had a number of really amazing dreams that you know they're not from you. It's like, I never had those kind of dreams before. <laughs> they're awesome. Mm. So, so you went to a, a season where it just seemed like God was moving in that way yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah. I was okay. getting my second dose of the prophetic. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So then what happened? Um, well, then, then I shifted in my role from being a pastor to being a pastor to prophetic leaders. Mm -hmm. and, the, and for many, many years, I was the pastor to the prophetic leaders of our church mm -hmm. and the prophetic ministries of our church. And they were some pretty well-known people, you know, and I was trying to help build them into community, um, which that was hard for most of them and didn't work that well, uh, honestly. Um, it was a great experiment, but I don't think it was a great success. Mm -hmm. Um, but um, I still have a passion for prophetically gifted people, and I love creating a community for them. So I, I came into the prophetic ministry through teaching and pastoring, not through some other means, you know, and it's kind of an unusual mm -hmm. avenue. Mm -hmm. Well, that's awesome. So then as you are building that community, as you are learning and growing, what were some of the ingredients that you saw helped people grow in the perfect, maybe that we could implement in our own sure. lives. Sure. Well, you know, you get burning logs together, you know, uh, it, it is something that's caught more than taught. And so uh, we should be taught well about it, but it's not that, the, the teaching about it is not that complicated, you know, it's more the experience that people need to have. And so, and so get people together who are experiencing these things and let them learn together and let them grow together. Uh, and, and it's uh, contagious. And, and I think that having a, uh, if you've got, you know, a, a core of people, prophetic people who have a double dose of the prophetic in their lives and they're in your local body, have them influence the rest of the body and everybody will grow in the prophetic. Mm -hmm. and, and God will bless that congregation. He'll bless that spiritual family with more revelation from the Holy Spirit. So that's great. So one thing that I could do if I want to grow in the prophetic in my life is connect with people or being in a community where we're trying to pursue this yes. or walk in this, especially if there are people with a stronger gifting or greater experience than I have. If I just yeah. get around them, yeah. it's, it's... Make friends with them, hang around them, listen to their testimonies mm -hmm. of the prophetic mm -hmm. and pray for them and pray for yourself to have more, uh -huh. you know? I think, I think that, that within that range of the single dose of the prophetic, because every Christian is a prophetic Christian, mm -hmm. truly, because we have the Holy Spirit within us and he's a prophetic spirit. Mm -hmm. And so within that range of the single dose, you can get more, mm -hmm. you know? You start here and you can get more. Mm -hmm. And who knows where you'll end up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so community... What would yeah. be another? What was another ingredient that you guys? Saw? Well, I think you know, prophetic people sometimes, uh, because of their gifting, uh, have had strange backgrounds, and so a lot of times they are eccentric in their personalities, and they need to be well. They need to become more well-rounded mm -hmm. as human beings, and so we would, uh, you know, encourage people to, you know, like get a life, like you know, <laughs> don't just listen for the prophetic. Don't just get so wrapped up in it and let it become your identity. You're you're more than your prophetic gift. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, get married and have kids and do children's ministry and, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like be a normal person, mm -hmm. be that naturally supernatural person who hears God mm -hmm. and let God determine what, where that gift may take you in terms of 
purpose and, mm -hmm. and uh, expression. Mm -hmm. So that's great. So community, seeking to be a well-rounded person and not just kind of hold away focused on just this, yeah. this deal. Some, some, some prophetic people are like hyper intense about mm -hmm. it. And we encourage people to kind of dial down mm -hmm. and be a little bit more human. Mm -hmm. Human being human is good. Yeah. Jesus was a human. Yeah. yeah, And he lived an ordinary life for 30 years. Yeah. Remember that? Like, that's pretty amazing yeah. that the sinless son of God lived an ordinary life for 30 years. Mm. Three years of public ministry. Yeah. So some people are, they want, they want to be in public ministry too fast. Yeah. And, and it's, it's better just to live your life, you know, mm. and then let God do it at mm. the right time. It's mm. awesome. Now I've heard you say another one that kind of, creates this environment is related to adoration yes, and adoring God. Yes. Why don't you share with us a little bit about that? Well, you know, I'll, I'll, a word that the Lord gave me was he said, Michael, to adore, A-D-O-R-E is to adore, A-D-O-O-R. To adore is to adore. And, and so I believe that adoring God well, privately, in your daily life is very, very important to a successful long-term prophetic ministry. And so uh, major on adoring God um, in all of your ways. And not just, I'm not just talking about your, your pulling away and having quiet time or private time, but in your public life too. Adore God everywhere you are, always. God is to be adored. And b build a, a life of adoration. It's one of the greatest uh, seedbeds for the gifts of the Spirit. That's awesome. So we've got, yeah, I heard you say, know the Bible well, yep. and kind of immerse yourself in this story. Yep. Get in a community that's pursuing these things. Yes. Um, you said adore God. Yeah. What was the other one you said? You, you mentioned another um, one that I'm blanking on. Hang around prophetic people. Hang around prophetic people. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Okay, so I, I'm doing those things. Um, and on that, getting around prophetic people. You know, there's a lot of uh, bizarre stuff on the internet related to the prophetic. Very true. And there are a number of ministries that it's hard to know from where we are. are the, is this legit? Or is this a scam or is this mm. fake? And you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly yeah. of, of all this. Sure. So kind of give us some guidelines on when we're talking about learning from people, some guidelines to help us, I don't know, keep us safe and also keep us fiery. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think uh, hanging around prophetic people who, prophetic leaders, you know, who are catalytic for the prophetic ministry, if if they they need to be in relationship with other ministries, you know, and not be isolated, I wouldn't go after an isolated prophet. I would say, who are you hanging with? Who are who are you accountable to? Who are you doing life with? You know, um, so that would be one thing. Um, although there can be seasons of our lives where we feel isolated, or, or God allows us to be on our own for a while, but it's not the norm. Um, so that would be one thing. And, um, and look at the long-term fruit, you know, of a person's life. Uh, gifting is different than character. Uh, the, when we want to learn about carnality, the problem of carnality in the church, where do we go? First Corinthians, First Corinthians, right? When we want to learn about the gifts of the Spirit, where do we go? First Corinthians, First Corinthians right? So, so they were gifted, but they were carnal. They were gifted, but immature. And so there's a lot of immature, gifted people in the world and in the body of Christ. And so I, I would say look for mature people. You know, look. So when you're talking about that, yeah. the fruit, you're not just talking about the strength of a gifting. You're right. also talking about character? Yeah. So, so fill us in kind of on that. What would I look for in someone? Uh, love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, temperance, <laughs> mm -hmm. faithfulness, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and look for uh, a kind of community around them that is centered in Jesus mm -hmm. and, and growing in character mm -hmm. uh, and in love. Love has to be the motivation. Love has to be the goal. Mm -hmm. Because if that's not true, then the prophetic and the gifts in general, the power mm -hmm. of the Spirit will make us eccentric. Mm -hmm. We'll get off center. Mm -hmm. And then we, then we don't reach the goals for which God gave the power. Mm -hmm. That's the irony. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of movements throughout yeah. church history where there was power, yeah. but there wasn't any kind of sustained 
renewal or sustained reformation that came from it because it was a flash in the pan. I love it. How often, when we're talking about this, am I to have the expectation that every day is going to be the book of Revelation in my quiet time? <laughs> or is this Let's once in not. a blue moon? Or, or what, where can I set my expectations on this? Oh, yeah. I mean... I think I, I, it's hard to say where to set the expectations. I think in general, we should expect that we're going to hear God, you know? Uh, the still small voice of God, which is the subtle side of God, is actually the most primary way and, most, and the most common way that we hear the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's not the dr- dramatic dream or vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't need a lot of those. Those have a lot of power in them and a lot of shelf life. So, but we do need to hear that still small voice. And um, so I think we can expect to have the witness of the spirit within us and the, the voice of God kind of the echo or the, like when actually the still small voice is mentioned about Elijah, it's actually in Hebrew, the sound of silence. It's the sound of silence. He heard God in the silence. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the whirlwind and he wasn't in the earthquake. He, but he was in that sound of silence. So we need to quiet ourselves to tune in and attune ourselves to Christ within us. And that's a good foundation for the more dramatic stuff to happen. They, it happens when it happens. I don't think that we can manufacture it or conjure it. We're not supposed to. Great, but I don't need to have the expectation that every day no. is meant to, like if I'm no, no, not, no. okay. That's There's really... some people that have it a lot more than others. And, and just rejoice when that happens. If somebody's like they are getting a lot of dreams or I've had seasons in my life where that was true, where I was having nightly dreams for a while. But I couldn't sustain that even. I know, you know, looking back on it, it's like the Lord didn't want to lay that on me. But he was getting me, you know, attuned to the prophetic gift uh, and calling in my life. So, yeah, I, just take it as it comes and pray for it to happen, but don't worry about it. That's what I'd say. Love Jesus. Do the basics. Do the basics well every day. And he knows your address, you know, and he wants to talk to you. So... So this is great. So to summarize kind of this section, what all of us could take away from here today, if I want to grow in the prophetic in a healthy way, I focus on learning the Bible, focus on loving God, loving other people like you talked about this morning, being in a community, uh, listening, kind of creating that space for silence to listen, for the still small voice of God. And then try and get around people that maybe have more experience and more gifting than I That's am right. and just kind of learn from them like you would anything else. Yeah. Those are things that I guess you would say we could all take away yeah. as do these things and you will Yes, grow. and then practice. You know, share mm. your impressions with people, mm. pray for them, mm-hmm. uh, and, and take the risk, mm-hmm. you know, of I'm seeing something here or I've got mm-hmm. a scripture coming to my mind mm-hmm. and then let the feedback mm-hmm. encourage you mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and help you grow and become more confident mm-hmm. through practice. I love it. So taking intentional time to practice. Yeah. That's so, so good.